Hi, everyone. You're right. They are not responsive. Yeah. How is everyone doing tonight? Okay. Here's, I don't know about you. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. First of all, we can all wear jackets tonight. Can anybody say amen to that? That's simple. It's low-hanging fruit, but we're thankful for it. Fall is coming. Also, uh, with COVID, one thing I've been recognizing is I've been uh, forgetting really important social cues and interaction. Anybody else? You are. I'm just letting you know. I've experienced you. You are a little bit. And so a uh, couple of things. Here's what I'd love to do. Could you turn to just somebody and give them a compliment and say, you look really great tonight. Just turn to somebody, whoever you choose, you look really great tonight. Just for a minute. There, there you go. Good job. Now, turn to the other person for who, whatever reason was your second choice and tell them they look good as well. You're looking good. Thank you for coming and sitting close to me, but distanced. Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, digitally or physically, would you please open to Psalm 23? It's where we're going to land tonight. And as Andrew said, uh, I love you, the people of Riverbend. This time has been so interesting as we're all uh, finding ourselves in it. And before we uh, really get into the, the portion of Scripture we're going to teach, I would just love to take a moment, pause, and really think uh, some of you are really imaginative people. Is there anyone in the crowd that's like, you just have a wild imagination and you're going to admit it in this space, right? You get, your imagination is vivid. You dream and you've just got like an incredible imagination. Well, what I'd love to do is before we get into the, the actual text is just kind of do a little thought experiment. And I would love us to take a moment to dream up a little bit of a future that comes from this text specifically. So here's what I'd love to do. Uh, I would like you to imagine with me just for a moment a future or a life in which you are not fearful. Like, just take a minute. What would life be like if you were not fearful? Fearful of loss, of a relationship, a job, of a global pandemic? What if uh, you lived a life where you were not anxious or worried? How many days a week do we spend anxious, worried? A life where all that you have or all that you uh, need, you have. Or rather, a life in which blessing and goodness are literally chasing after you. Just think about this for a moment. And lastly, a life where you're, where you're so satisfied and satiated in every way that you're bubbling over with joy. Now, this is a moment for us uh, where a real dose of realism, if you're like me, a real dose of realism sets in and you begin to, uh, our imaginations, excuse me, begin to fill with all the reasons and the realities of why that could never happen. Anyone else? Like, here's why that's not going to happen in my life. And I can appreciate that everybody is coming to church tonight and this evening experiencing life differently. We recognize that. Now, for some of us, this disruption that we find ourselves in has been a true gift a break for some of you in an unbalanced schedule. Anyone know what I'm talking about? You've just loved the break. You're like, listen, I don't want to tell anybody, but I hope this lasts for another year. Don't tell us that. We, right? we don't want to know. But some of you have been like, this is the best gift ever. For some, you've been very lonely. Uh, you haven't had interactions or relationships. Uh, you kind of forgot what it was like to interact with other humans. And for some still, uh, you're a family and you're crowded in maybe a medium-sized to small home. And you don't not only feel overwhelmed, you, you might even feel a little bored. Anybody? <laughs> the monotony? As one writer, uh, you might be experiencing what one writer calls the untheatrical regularity of the uneventful. 
I feel like I'm in the untheatrical regularity of the uneventful right now. And this is where we are tonight. I want to welcome you into a gift that I really believe the Holy Spirit gives us through the scriptures, through Psalm 23. And as we look at this psalm together, we are going to see that no matter what place we are in currently tonight, that we have an incredibly generous, competent, powerful, gracious, thoughtful, interesting, and loving God who is with us right now. Whether you fully believe that, can receive that or not, that is true. But you may be among many individuals who uh, say, I don't experience God that way, and I'm not sure why I don't. Many of you would say with confidence, I believe in Jesus, his spirit, and God the Father, but I don't experience his abundance, as Psalm 23 might say. And then the next question is why? Why don't we experience God's abundance, his peace? Why don't we experience this life where we're not uh, walking in anxiety and worry? And I believe one of our greatest needs today is for people to really see and really believe the things they already profess to see and believe. To really actually believe it. For example, knowing about things and knowing what they are, being able to identify them and say, uh, and say them does not mean you actually believe them. There's a lot of things I can repeat that I don't necessarily believe in. And when we truly believe what we profess, we're set to act as if those things were actually true, which is what Psalm 23 guides us to. Acting as if things were true means that we live as if they were true to us. And the words of Psalm 23 are among those things that people profess to believe. Now, many of you can recite Psalm 23 uh, among those things uh, this verse specifically is one that people memorize often. The Lord is my shepherd. How many have heard that before, right? You've heard that thousands of times. Many people that don't even know Jesus, right? They say this. They know this verse. This is very close to many people. And so here's what we're going to do. Tonight, we're going to start a two-week series entitled Life Without Lack. This idea which reflects that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, uh, heads up, this is uh, taken a lot from a book by a great man named Dallas Willard. Anything that is wise or intelligent in what I say is from him. Anything that's not is straight from me. So that's how that's going to work tonight. But I want to say that this is really an important moment for us to pause and to press into what the Spirit might have for us because I really sense, I really do, that there's something for each person if we're willing to just pause and to reflect and listen. So what I'd love to do together, it's going to be on the screen, Psalm 23. I would love to read this out loud together. Can we do this? Is everyone okay with that? Okay, so you can just repeat after me. We'll all go together. One, two, three, let's go. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be in this moment. 
We just relinquish anything that is distracting us in this moment, fear, anxiety. We just open ourselves up to what you might have. I pray for some that if there's something you want to speak specifically, that you are completely capable of speaking to people that are aware of your presence. For those who you want to get attention of, get their attention tonight. And God, I ask above all that you would bless us right where we are at. Speak to us. Would you give us all just a gift of your attention tonight, in this moment, in this space? And everyone said joyfully, amen. Now, the psalmist, after reading this, the psalmist is portraying a life that we were meant to enjoy, one that is imminently actually available to us. But an important question we must all answer is, do you believe that these verses are actually true? Because few people act as if they actually were. I hope that we learn to see God in a new way in these next two weeks, and we'll begin by focusing on how God is unlimited in resources, just as he is unlimited in love. He is the good shepherd who generously provides for our every need. So let's just think about this for just a minute. What if these words of Psalm 23 were actually true? And if we believe them, what might our life look like? If Psalm 23 is true, which it absolutely is, our life might look something like this. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to break this down really quick, line by line. The Lord is my shepherd. In other words, I am in the care. We are in the care of someone else. Anyone excited about that? Like someone else is responsible for me. Yes. I'm not the one in charge. I've taken my kingdom and I've actually surrendered it to the kingdom of God. I am living the with God life. The Lord is my shepherd. And what follows that? The next line, I shall not want. I shall not want. That's the natural result. I shall lack nothing. That's what Jesus teaches. You remember Matthew um, chapter 6, verse 33. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to that. Next line, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, I'm not really familiar with farm culture or sheep culture, but the kind of sheep that lies down in a green pasture, from what I've read, is a sheep that has actually eaten to its fill, uh, fill until it's completely full. If a sheep is in a green pasture and she is not full, she'll be eating, not lying down. Next line, he leads me beside still waters. Again, really shallow with the sheep culture, but what I've read is a sheep that's being led by still water is a sheep that is not thirsty, has what it needs. Uh, you remember in John 4, Jesus said to the woman at the well, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give them, remember, never will thirst. Then it goes on to say, he restores my soul. The broken depths of my soul, your soul, our soul, souls together are healed and they are reintegrated in a life union with God, the eternal kind of life, which leads us to the fact that he leads me and you and all of us together in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Basically, the effect of this restoration of our souls together is that we walk in these paths of righteousness on his behalf as this natural expression of our renewed nature. We're just so elated to be healed that we walk in that together. And as we walk in these paths, our trust in our shepherd runs so deep that we declare the next line, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
It's interesting, a life without lack is one that carries no fear of evil. I don't know about you, but this is a fearful time in my life and the world where we find ourselves, our cultural moment we're in, it's a fearful time. And our confidence through this psalm, our confidence in God soars far above wants and even fears. I don't know about you, but I would love to have a life without fear and soaring faith. Anyone else? I would love that. I would love to walk in that space. It seems like Jesus was constantly saying to his friends, remember the the Gospels, Jesus was constantly saying, fear not, fear not, don't fear, don't be afraid, fear not, stop fearing, why are you so fearful? You remember this? Like this was repeated, I can't, I didn't even add up all the times, it was a lot. Imagine what that would be life, like no fear of life, no fear of aging, no fear of death, disease or hunger, no fear of any person or creature, not even the loss of all your possessions. You're not fearful of that. You can live without fear We can live without fear even in the midst of a world dominated by fear right now. As believers, it is the internal soul life available to us. And now this obviously doesn't mean everything is perfect. We get to experience God even in the midst of hard things in our life. And the psalmist clearly knows about life's dangers and he still says, I will fear no evil. Why does he say that? Because of the next line. For you are with me. The central truth of this verse is that complete sufficiency of the life without lack is based upon the presence of God and he is most clearly and fully present to us in Jesus Christ. So he goes on to say, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I know enough from experience that the rod and staff represent the shepherd's strength and his protective care. It is a safe place. God's presence is a safe place where I have, you have no fear, and I'm at liberty to enjoy the overwhelming generosity of my shepherd. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It has this predeposition that uh, you and I actually love our enemies. So since we love our enemies, we would not feast upon a delicious meal in their presence and not offer them some if they were hungry, right? So then he goes on to say, the, excuse me, the abundant provision of God's safety in my life is so present, we can share with those that we call or are our enemies. And then there's this little line next that's always been particularly confusing to me. You anoint my head with oil. Now, this one can be easily lost because we are not often anointing each other's heads with oil. I'm really thankful that this practice is not going on any longer. You guys, anybody else? Like you coming into church, good to see you. A little dump of oil on your hair. I'm so glad that's not the case anymore. Uh, but here's, what, here's where we can actually connect with this. Actually think of this a little differently. Uh, upon some study, it's, it's more about comfort. Uh, you might think of this in terms of like a hot shower or a warm, fluffy towel. Anybody know what I'm talking about? No, no one showers here. Cool. <laughs> the COVID beard has reached to uh, COVID no showering. Uh, so it's, it's the idea that this makes us feel clean and comfortable and special and how God actually makes that possible. He's not only interested in me having something wonderful to eat or to have people to do that with. He's also into blessing me with a beautiful life. It doesn't mean perfect life, but things that are comfortable and joyful experiences and deep relationships. So much so that the next line comes, my cup runs over. I have more than my cup will actually hold. I don't know about you, but this is a a unique time where it feels really hard at moments to be really generous. 
But Jesus says right here, listen, when you have me as your sufficiency, you have more than your cup will hold. And because of that, we can be as generous as our shepherd without fear of ever running out. And we are convinced that the next line, surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and that we're going to dwell with God forever. This is the description of the, the eternal kind of life that's available to us right now, the abundant with God life. It's what Jesus promises. So how do we come to this kind of experience of God? How do we do that? What does it take? What might be holding you and I back from this? Or you might ask, what am I doing wrong? So to fully answer these questions and more that we might have, we need to start with a strong foundation of understanding of where this lack actually comes from and what kind of faith we need to really see and to really believe. Are we all together in this? Yeah? Okay, so first thing, what, here's where we're going to go tonight. I want to be clear at what we're going to go through. So we're going to look at why such lack and evil, what is faith, how a little faith goes a long way, and I want to clear up any confusion about faith at the end. So first, why such lack and evil in our world? For most of us, the thought of a life without lack is unimaginable because we live in a world that is so obviously full of lack. You know what I'm talking about. Lack of promotion, lack of opportunity, lack of relationship, lack of a job. We feel this lack. We feel a lack of kindness, of fairness, and compassion. Uh, and it seems so precious because it's so rare. I remember uh, when I moved to Los Angeles a while back, uh, my family and I were there. And I remember just, uh, I, I opened a door for some lady because I, I was raised in this, this time where you would open doors for uh, people or just say thank you or just these things called manners. I don't know. I don't want to tell you about them. I'll t- explain later. But these things called manners and my parents were really clear about like, ha- like manners. But it was incredible to me how shocking manners were to people in that, in that culture and time. It was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You said thank you or you stopped or you opened the door, whatever. And it's amazing when we go without things like kindness or compassion, when we experience them, they're like, disarming a little bit. They're alarming almost. Like, what's going on? What's wrong with this person? Or what does this person want from me? You do that ever? Like, what do they want? They're being too kind. And I remember uh, just thinking, wow, this is so simple. You can succeed in a massive way here just by being a nice, thoughtful, not needy person. So anyway, if you move to Los Angeles, take that with you. You'll go real far. Um, But so much is going on around us. So much wrong is going on all around us, right? We see injustice and and oppression and natural disasters. I saw this amazing tweet last week, and someone was talking in regards to the the natural disaster going on through some of the hurricanes. It was like, hey, hurricanes, read the room, like, right? This is the wrong time to be going uh, and having a natural disaster during a global pandemic and all the injustice going on in our world, right? So it was like, read the room, but... Uh, We have so much wrong. We have broken relationships. We have perversity. We have selfishness, pride, apathy, lots of pain. It seems we would need to block it out or pretend that all is well, which as a seven on the Enneagram, I love that language. Like, let's suppress this, pretend it doesn't exist. We're all fine. Anyone else know that language? Like, I love that world. It's not healthy, not good for relationships, and you'll soon die if you do that. But listen... It is really good with handling terror in the moment. It is wonderful. It's a good gift, but you can't sit in it. We can't pretend we have to understand, and we live in a world under the care of God with unlimited power. He lacks nothing, and he intends good for his creation, which we are. So why then so much lack and evil? What's gone wrong? 
Many of us really actually believe it's the person sitting next to us, right? We think it's humans. We go, you know what? It's actually that humans were so evil and so off in the fall. But we must acknowledge uh, the activity of Satan here. His presence in the world accounts for the seemingly unlimited extent of human wrongdoing, right? You sense it even in our world right now. If you're a person that's at all in, involved or filled with the Spirit, you can sense there is a, an extra amount of evil kind of present right now. And that's not to be superstitious or over, overthinking it. If you are at all in touch with the Spirit, you sense there's something dark that seems to, to have an energy behind some of the activities. Not all, but some. And to just say that it's human nature alone would be misinformed. It would not be wise. Unlimited, uh, the wrongdoing goes far beyond what humanity made in the image of God could generate on its own. The enemy, as you remember, has humanity in his grasp, specifically through two areas, ideas and beliefs. Your ideas and your beliefs, this is one of the main ways that the enemy loves to attack you. Now, we often love the idea of uh, taking the, the cartoon image uh, of a demon or a, or a devil, right? When we cartoon uh, out these images, they can quickly be dismissed, right? Like the enemy's not that way. The enemy is crafty. He primarily works in your ideas and primarily works in your beliefs and what you believe and what you don't through lies, little words throughout the day, like you're not good enough. She doesn't like you really. She just said that. Or man, you're not, you don't deserve what you're getting, Little moments, little things, here and there, a word there, a thought there. That's how he primarily works and has developed his way of working throughout history, and he, attend, he intends to keep it that way. He works in the realm of heart and ideas in the individual as well as the social forms to control the major structures and the process of human life on the earth. So we have to be aware of this. And as we look through this series, the true secret to life a life without lack is faith in God and God's full capacity and willingness to actually meet all of our needs. But that raises a very important question, doesn't it? What is faith? What is faith really? Faith is simply an understanding of how things are. And it's wedded to a commitment to live one's life in light of that understanding. I'm going to say that again. It is simply an understanding of how things are wedded to a commitment to live one's life in light of that understanding. Now, part of the problem with our faith today, my faith, your faith, our faith collectively, is that we do not truly believe in the reality of the spiritual, either the good side or the evil side. We kind of dismiss the whole thing. In our world, people maintain their sense of respectability by rejecting everything except what they can see in the natural world. Anybody experience this? I mean, if you believe in things that are spiritual, you're immediately like looked down upon, uh, not respected as mu much. Oh, an intelligent person wouldn't actually think that way. Now, to accept that there is more than that threatens their identity as a proper, intelligent citizen of the modern world. And we don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole, right? Like, we don't want anyone questioning our intelligence, our, our proper uh, intelligence in this world. But the perspective of the modern world is not the perspective of the Bible. And it is from the biblical perspective that we're going to address the primary source of the lack of evil in our world today. So there's part of the problem. So what is faith? As again, we, we just mentioned that. But faith, essentially, the word trust, is the key that unlocks our readiness to receive God's sufficiency in our lives in a huge way. Now, 
Given how commonly we use these words today, these are overused words, it's helpful to replace all the occurrences. When I read the Bible and I come across the word faith as an example, I usually replace it with trust because it really helps ring true the point of it. For example, Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through trust, as an example. Through trusting that God is who he says he is. Now, to have faith in God is simply to trust God and to rely upon him in the face of all fears. The best known uh, biblical definition of faith, we all know from Hebrews 11.1, 1, I love this passage. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that word substance, a uh, substance means what stands under something, a substance or understanding. It's a foundation. Faith is the substance of things that you have hoped for. In this way, when you and I have faith in something, we act in relationship with God to bring what we hope for into reality. We actually hope for this. Now, faith is also the evidence of things not seen. What are things that are not seen? In the same passage, a few lines later, we're told that the world was framed by the word of God, right? And that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The phrase things not seen refers to the word or even the energy of God. So, that said, when we have faith, that is sure, it is sure evidence that the word around us of the unseen God is active in us. Faith is a gift. God creates faith in our hearts together. It is a gift from him. Now, something that's interesting about faith uh, is it doesn't do so well with control. Anyone ever experienced that? Anyone just love control? You're not going to be honest about this because that would be embarrassing in front of your friends. But uh, you, just, you know those types, right? You're just a high-controlled person. You love being in control. You love deciding where you're going to eat. You love deciding that for uh, what everyone else's life is going to be like and how they're going to run it, including your own. You're going to love, maybe you're married to someone like that, right? Like you just, you, you love the control piece, right? And that's not bad, but here's the thing. Faith and control cannot peacefully coexist. If you want full control of your life, you will not have a faith-filled life. They do not peacefully coexist. They will constantly butt up against one another, irritate one another, and not be helpful to you. So if you're a person that says, I want to grow in faith, but it has to be my way, my time. I have to do it this way, God. It will be tragically disappointing all the time for you. Now, I say that with such assurance because the Bible clearly shows us that. If we want control, we will not be able to exercise effective faith. There are many things that are out of our control. And we try to put our faith in certain things for security, right? Like you try to have a certain level of control because that helps you feel safe. And that's, again, not all bad, but we have to remember our security is not in what we can control. It is in who we love and who we trust and who we serve. That is where our hope, our joy, our peace comes from. Now, some good news for anybody that is like just loves control. A little faith goes a really long way. A little faith goes a long way. I want to tell you a, a little story. There's a story in the Gospels. Uh, it's, it's a weirdly titled story, but I'll explain it. Uh, but there's a story called the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, if you're new to the Bible, that might sound interesting. If you've been at church for any amount of time, you've probably heard it, maybe understood it, maybe not. But basically, this is what happened. Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John on a high mountain. So think of your friend, four dudes. You're like, hey, we're going to hike 
uh, South Sister today, okay? That's what we're going to do. Our job is going to be to wake up early before the sun rises, and we're going to get to the top. Okay, so you're all buddies. You're doing this. This is great. You're going. So you go to the top of the mountain. While you're up there, your friend, one of your friends who invites you, uh, decides to start shining like the sun, like all of a sudden beaming like the sun. You're like, what is going on with this person? And then all of a sudden, two like really epic uh, biblical heroes uh, pop up, Moses and Elijah. And they just show up to start talking with your friend who's shining like the sun. Like this is, this is a real thing This happened. Now God speaks from heaven. That's also a crazy thing. You're on a mountain. Your friend starts kind of blowing up and shining like the sun. Then these two people appear who are like really legit and, and biblical heroes. And they're all of a sudden all talking together. And then this really loud voice, which you are able to immediately recognize as God, starts speaking. And that's your experience. Now, God speaks from heaven, and they're so overwhelmed that they literally just fall down in fear. They fall down because of the glory of it all, but also because they're scared for their lives. And if you were really in that moment, I think you and I, we would do the same, right? The Mount of Transfiguration had a dramatic effect on Peter's faith. Do you think you'd really struggle with faith if you went on a hike to the top of South Sister, your friends started lighting up like the sun, Moses, Elijah, they show up to talk and God speaks to you. Do you feel like faith would be as challenging for you at that moment? Anybody? No, like not at all. You'd, you'd much more in your heart and your mind be able to connect with what God is doing. And so it had a dramatic effect on Peter's faith. So basically everything kind of calms down on the mountaintop and they decide to come down. When they come down, they get back into their neighborhood and Jesus is back uh, down the mountain and he hears this like great commotion in the neighborhood they go to. And it's involving some of their other friends, their other disciples. And then they're, they're hearing this commotion and there's some other religious leaders there and there's a man and, and this man has a troubled son and his son is troubled by a demon. The man had brought his boy in hopes that Jesus would heal him. And in his absence, when Jesus was up on the mountain, Jesus' disciples tried to give it a, they gave it a go. They're like, we're going to try to get this demon out of this kid with no success at all. No success. So Jesus asked this man, he said, hey, how long has your son been suffering? How long has this been going on? And the man says, well, since he was a child. He says with sorrow, since he was a child. This was his response, which was followed by a desperate plea, Mark 9, 22. And this is what the dad says. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you have little ones, you know what this cry is like. It's like visceral. It's like, please do something, anything. Then comes the part where most of us really actually want to crawl under a chair and hide because it's hard to believe it's true. But this is what happens. Jesus told the man, he says, if you can believe, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. I hate that verse. I hate it. What if that's true? If I can believe all things are actually possible to him. All things? Really? Does that mean all things are possible to you, to me too? The answer is yes, it does. And we should feel free to speak right back to Jesus the words of this desperately hopeful father, which is, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I want to pause there for a second. Because that's a really important line. This was not a coldly analytic report about the cognitive state we're told, to cry, we're told to be in. This man cried out with tears. He cried out with passion. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. A great part of our faith lies within the intensity with which we want something. 
And the father's tears expressed this deepest heart. Now, uh, I never worry about someone who wants to believe. I really don't. And that's because I know they already believe enough to want to believe more. And I feel like for some of you tonight, this is a really important moment. You have enough faith to want to believe, but you just feel so anemic in this area. You feel so confused. You feel so desperate that you are like this father. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, my lack of belief in your involvement in my life, that you actually care about uh, the goodness that you have, the fact that I can have an intimate one-on-one relationship with you, right? Where are you at tonight? Ask yourself, Lord, I believe. Where are you needing to have help in your unbelief? What are you not believing him for? And what was amazing about this is he believed. And I I think it's really encouraging to me as I see this to remember that Jesus doesn't need a lot of faith. He just needs a little. Remember Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Why is that? Because only faith would lead you to seek God with all your heart. If you have a craving for more of God, you have faith. Maybe it's in the process and it's like messy and you can't understand it and you don't really like get it yet, but guess what? You actually desire to seek God. If you're hearing this right now and there's something in you going, yes, I cannot wait to interact with Jesus. I cannot wait to ask. I cannot wait to write this down. I can't wait to engage more. There's something in your heart going on. And if not, say, Lord, I believe, but just help where I can't believe or I, I I don't believe yet. Help me with that. He wants to help you in that space, in that moment. Now, the nature of faith involves love and the desire for good. When this father, when he was begging for Jesus to heal his son, that was faith. It was his love and his desire in action. He loved his son. His desire was for his son to be healed. And it did something, right? He went to Jesus. He actually moved towards Jesus. And with tears, he cries out, Lord, I believe. And he did believe. He had just enough faith to make a fool of himself in front of everyone by coming to them in the first place. And you know, this is funny because at home they were probably saying, yeah, yeah, old old Josh, he took his kid up to see the wild preacher. And that's exactly what he did. He absolutely did that. And with a great deal of desperation, he cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus did. He healed his son. And the cup of that man's faith that maybe only had a few drops in it at that moment, you can be sure that he left with a whole lot more in that space. Jesus answered that prayer. All things are possible to him, to her who believes. Now lastly, tonight before we get into next week, I want to clear up any confusion about faith. Because faith is one of those things that uh, is easy to misunderstand. It often falls into the category of mystery or superstition. It's easy to misunderstand. And this is especially true for many who uh, go to church regularly or who by now hear how important it is to have faith, right? You hear that constantly. It's important to have faith. So you may feel from some degree uh, of pain or guilt because you think you don't have enough faith. And I am here to relieve you of shame and guilt and fear that you're not having enough faith. Start with the Father's Prayer. I believe, help my unbelief. Start where you are today, not where you hope to be, but where you actually are. And a deeper understanding of faith can help you gain a greater peace and confidence about your own faith and how you are growing in it. Faith, however, it's not a mystery to us. We have clear answers. We experience it 
day in and day out. It's the most basic aspect. Faith is simply reliance upon something in both your attitude and your action. Okay, those two, those two words, your attitude and your action. It may not or it may revolve reliance upon God, but it can operate without God. Um, for, let me give you an example. Everyone loves car analogies, or at least they really hit home because everyone got here in a car, most likely. Most of you were not walking down that freeway or highway or whatever that is. So you're, most likely you got here in a car. I have faith in my car, even though I'm not driving it at the moment. And this frees me from, in this moment, worrying about how I'm going to get home later, right? Uh, I'm not worried about it. I'm really not thinking about it, except for the fact that it's in this teaching. If I didn't have faith in my car, I would have trouble right in this moment concentrating on what I'm doing, wondering how I'm going to get home. How am I actually going to do that? And I would probably stop for a minute and say, guys, could we just chill for a second? And I would text somebody, give someone a call to see if they could come pick me up. Now, this can be defined as my attitude. This is my concern. My attitude is I have a concern to get home. I really need to get home and I, I need somebody to help me do that. Now, that would affect my action, right? My attitude of needing to get home would affect my action. I would make the call. I would send the text. Now, again, faith is reliance. It's trust. It's confidence. And it's revealed in your attitude and in your action. Attitude can be understood as the continuing posture we have in life. It's our basic way of being in the world. As a parent, I say this all the time. Hey, can we change your attitude? Hey, could we have a better attitude with that? Hey, when you come today, could you bring your good attitude? That would be awesome. I'd really appreciate that. Anybody experience this growing up, right? Like change your attitude. Like, hey, have a, let's have a good attitude. Let's be positive. Andrew's like <laughs> real high in the front row. You always have a great attitude. Great parents. That said, but think about it. Like our attitude is how we are in the world, our basic way of being in the world. I do not like grumpy people or people with bad attitudes, right? Why? Because they're no fun to be around. And if you love being around those people, you are one of them. Anyway, let's keep going. Um, I'm just kidding. It's here, right here in this moment. It's in our fundamental posture towards life where real spiritual goods are needed most of all. Another example that people really connect with is love. Cars and love. People connect with these all day long. These are great examples. We need to love an attitude as well in action. Now, me being a husband reminds me of this often. I've been married for 13 years. She does not want just words. Any guys in the, anyone married, say amen to this, yes? No one's married. Okay, we have a singles night starting Tuesday. No. Uh, really quick, though, this is important. I mean, I can say things, and I need to say them kindly, and I need to say them in a loving way, but... It's not about really the words. It's really about are you actually becoming the type of person you are saying you're becoming? Are you actually changing this? This person who only acts or the person that might only act in a loving way but does not actually love, well, that's a person who's just deficient of character at that point. We need to get love into our heart and the fibers of our being. And this, uh, from Jesus' perspective, the person who merely acts righteously can either fall into the category of being pharisaical or legalistically righteous. The righteousness of the kingdom of God is righteousness of the heart. It starts in your heart. It starts in your attitude, which leads to your action. It starts with you actually having this in your heart. You cannot, I cannot escape faith. There's no way to get through life without it because you have a future. I know this year it really doesn't feel like it, but you actually do. You make plans for your future and making plans involves having confidence or faith that things will be a certain way and what you desire will actually come about. 
Now, that's actually not really true right now. Like right now, I can't like depend on a flight to, to actually uh, not get canceled. I can't plan on an event that's not going to potentially get removed or, or changed around. But in general, we move through the world by having faith that a certain amount of things are going to work a certain way, that the people that say they're going to put on church on Sunday night at 5 p.m., they're actually going to show up and there's going to be people here to greet you and care for you and there's going to be people to lead you in worship. Right, you had faith that coming tonight there, there would actually be something happening because you didn't hear otherwise. So you were able to plan. You made a decision this morning. You came tonight. This is the only way we can deal with our future is by some kind of faith. Now, right now, you might not have faith in God, but you still have faith and you're acting it out every day. Remember, faith is simply reliance upon something in your attitude and your action. And lastly, two main parts of faith that really will help us completely understand this so we can move forward in our faith is vision and the other is desire. Faith has two main parts. One is vision, one is desire. The first part, vision, right? You have a vision. At the beginning of this teaching, we stopped for a minute and we just imagined a future, a preferred future where you didn't fear, you weren't anxious and worried all the time. That's having a vision. It's envisioning a life that's peaceful and joyful and something you actually want. It's attractive to you. And vision is seeing reality as it is, or in the case of the future, as it could be for you, for me. And desire is wanting reality to be as it is or what we hope it could be. To have faith or the faith necessary to live for our hoped for future, we have to trust with what the psalmist says, that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This was a really helpful verse uh, for me specifically probably this last year. Truly trusting that the outcome of my life was not going to be terrible, no matter if I understood it completely or not. If I understood all the ups and downs, the things I could control, the things I couldn't, being able to meditate on the reality that God actually has goodness and mercy that is chasing me if I so choose to humble myself and listen and engage with and enter into reality with him as he sees it as he defines it maybe you're here with me where you're just like i have no i'm just hopeless about the future i'm terribly worried about all of it there's good reason to be but we also serve a god that says goodness and mercy chase after you good things chase after you sometimes we speak of someone um i don't know if you've ever heard this but someone like being under conviction right they're under conviction. And when this happens, it, it often means that a person has a vision. They have a vision of how things could be, but they're resisting it. Some of you might be here tonight and you're feeling like under conviction because you have a vision of the way that God is calling you or leading you into, but you're resisting it. Classic example, another relationship example. We can connect with this. Uh, take an example of a man and woman are dating. She knows that the romantic relationship is not healthy because I am convinced that women know this way before men most of the time. They're way ahead of the curve on that. And, and at least in my experience, that's always been the case. Uh, and she knew like this is not the healthy thing for her. This is not the right thing for her. So she has this vision, yet she deeply wants to be with this person. That's her desire. So she has a vision. This is not working but I have a desire. I want to be with this person. I love this person. I care for this person. So she chooses to remain in the relationship. Yet she doesn't have peace or excitement or even rest about her choice. That is the experience of conviction. She sees a preferred future, 
but her desires don't line up with her vision yet. Think about uh, celebrities when they endorse a product. Like advertisers know this really well. Like you might not care about soap, but if Dwayne Johnson's like taking like a, a shower and that's his neck up shot and he's like washing it all over his face, he's like, you're going to love this stuff and it's going to make you totally yoked. You'd be like, I want that soap. That soap's okay. I'm going to buy that soap. Like you almost trust it more, right? For whatever reason, they get these people who have some credibility in your eyes and then all of a sudden you're able to relate with that and then all of a sudden they, they help you have faith in your heart towards that thing. To what end? That you'll act on the thing that they're trying to sell. Right? They know this really well. And this is how faith works. When somebody with authority, like God, speaks and says in his word that, hey, remember, faith comes through hearing the truth about the kingdom. When we hear about the kingdom of God, when we read about the kingdom of God, we can be sure and we can know on his account on his authority that we are stepping into a beautifully good thing. As Paul puts it, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Now, tonight was foundational, and in summary, we cannot live without faith. It's tied to our future. Faith has all these different elements of desire and vision and attitude and action and all of this. But here's the deal. This is where it actually lines up for you and for me this week. At the beginning, we stopped and we said, hey, do you actually believe the things you say you see and believe? Do you really see and believe the things you are saying? And and my question for us tonight, as we just pause, as we take a minute to pray, and we're going to step into a time of communion and worship, is where are you seeing and believing in your own life? Where are you seeing or saying you see and believe and not actually seeing and believing? Does your attitude, your heart, your general way of being in the world, Does your attitude line up with your actions, with how you live, with how you interact with people, with how you make relationship decisions, with how you spend your time at night, with how you engage with food and how you engage in all parts of life? Does your attitude line up with your action? And this isn't a question to to create shame or guilt or any of that. That's not from the Spirit. It's rather a moment to say, where are you at? Take a personal inventory. And at the same time, faith and control, as we talked about, cannot peacefully exist. So my question for us tonight is where do we need to, where do you need to, where do I need to release control? What do I need to release control of? Is it your future? Is it a preferred outcome? What is it that you are just trying to hold on to, carrying the weight of that Jesus is like, just give it to me. I've got this taken care of. I'm just waiting for you to give this one to me. I've got this. We have a completely competent, capable, strong, effective, intelligent, loving, passionate, generous God who is willing to carry that for you and with you. I'm going to take a minute to pray. Hey, worship team is going to come forward and we're going to take a minute to just reflect, invite the spirit, and then we're going to take communion together.